Well, hey, cousins, you are listening to Revolutionary Hood Rat with Kim Young, a dope black social worker, and welcome back. We got us a solo dolo episode. It's just me. There's no guests. Surprise. Um, I just felt the need to go back to the old format, and I'm talking go back like I've been doing this shit hella long, but I just kind of felt like doing some revolutionary news, Earth is Ghetto, Tales from the Trap, and a good old black word, and so that's what we have this week, and I thank y'all for tuning in. Um, so let's go ahead and get started with the revolutionary news for the week, and you already know that the revolutionary news is an advocacy update as it relates to our work in Virginia with House Bill 606 to create a... Uh, clinical social work licensing alternative that does not require the ASWB exam. And so the update for the week is that House Bill 606 passed in the House. It passed in the House, y'all. If I knew how to do sound engineering and add applause, I would add applause right here because the bill made it out of the House with a vote of 50 to 45. And so now it is headed to the Senate for crossover where we will start this process. I'm, it's going to feel like all over again, but start this process to get the bill through the Senate. And so it's just really dope to um, get it to this point in the process. But, and not, but, and so much I continue to learn. It's also wild how this piece of legislation has become partisan. Like y'all know, I don't prescribe to any um, political party. Uh, but like, it's just really interesting to see how this issue is divided. Um, and then at the same time, Virginia has a social work compact legislation that passed in the house with overwhelming bipartisan support. And so the compact legislation will allow for Virginia to enter into the social work compact, which a lot of us in the field have been hearing about, maybe not in great detail. And I'm going to tell y'all right now, I'm not well versed in that legislation. I just understand some of the major components of it and some of the pieces that are incredibly problematic and concerning that I believe we need to pay attention to as folks continue to push for license portability. I think what we're not paying attention to is the way that piece of legislation is currently written. It's really crappy and short-sighted. And at the end of the day, it's not a piece of legislation that's going to benefit the vast majority of folks who are seeking to gain access to this field. And then it's also wild to hear a lot of the narrative is folks, oh yeah, I want to be able to have this compact so that I can practice in multiple jurisdictions and states. And it's just, it's not completely realistic. A lot of folks who are trying to obtain clinical social work licensure truly just want to practice at home. They're not looking to practice across state lines or have a virtual private practice. They just want to do shit in their own community. And people aren't really paying attention to that and not really paying attention to how like laws are just not the same <laughs> across the country when it comes to the administration and practice of social work. So just think about how license portability will work in a place like Florida or Texas when you are licensed in New York or California and then having to understand the laws and the ethics and all these different localities and all the harm that will be committed uh, this back and forth. I don't know, y'all. It's just a whole bunch of shit. And people are just short-sighted and really focused on, whoa, if I get it, if my state signs on to this compact, then I'll be able to practice in all the other states that participate in the compact at an additional fee and licensure process and from rules and regulations that have not been formed yet. The way that I understand this social work compact is the first seven states to sign on to the compact will then guide the process on how compact licenses are regulated 
this is like another level of regulation. It's an additional license. It's, it's an additional fee. This shit ain't no add-on. Like it's more money out of people's pocket. And we're not even paying attention to how the ASWB exam has like, they have written themselves into the compact. So I don't know. I'm not a full supporter of this compact as it's written, I think is incredibly problematic and we're not really paying attention to who is at the core of it, who has been driving it and how it really is supposed to like support military spouses for a piece of legislation to be sponsored by the DOD, the Department of Defense, and then everybody else thinking that shit is for us. Y'all, <laughs> y'all, don't, y'all don't understand how this country works. Then people is not thinking about the everyday social work practitioner. I can promise you that much. Um, but yes, the revolutionary news for the week is that House Bill 606 in Virginia has made it out of the House and is headed to the Senate. And as y'all know, I'll continue to do what I can to keep people updated on the progress and the work that is happening here in Virginia. And I also just want to make mention of um, folks who have been kind of tapped into me with and throughout through other networks, understand, you know, I have like this webinar series that's coming up for social work month, which starts in March. And before I wasn't able to offer continuing education units, but now I can. Now I can. I found me a dope co-accomplice at a university that is willing to cover and do all of the CEUs for my three webinars. So I cannot wait to make that announcement formal. So if you're listening to this podcast or hearing first is my webinars are now CEU approved, bitch. And I had to pay nothing. I had to fill out all them applications. I don't think people truly understand how expensive and cumbersome it is to provide CEUs independently. That shit is mad expensive. Like one application for one workshop can cost like $425. And then you have to have the logistical means to be able to track attendance and issue all those certificates. Hell no. Hell no. I would have to make the price of the webinars go up, 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 up when I really focus on them just being accessible so that folks get access to the good information. And y'all already know, like, my shit about to be better than half the stuff that Pessy could ever do. And all the people they be bringing to the NASW for their conferences and one-off workshops. We about to have a good time. And I'm really excited to be able to offer CEUs for my webinars. So yeah. So that is our revolutionary news for the week. And let's go ahead and get into some Earth is Ghetto. It's been a minute. So let's go. Woo. All right. Earth is Ghetto. I know there's a couple of things that I definitely want to touch on, but let's go ahead and start with the fact that I watched the entire big sports ball game on Sunday. And the big sports ball game that I am referring to is the Super Bowl that was held in um, Las Vegas. And I watched the whole thing, y'all, like the whole entire sports ball game. And I had a general understanding of what the hell was going on. I am absolutely proud of myself and fascinated (laughs) by how much information I've been able to retain and relearn and regain because there was a while when I was really into sports, like I was really into watching basketball and football, not playing sports, but literally like watching, watching the games, attending games knowing the stories of players in both of those leagues, the NBA and the NFL. And I just kind of fell off. I can't even pinpoint what happened, but actually I think I know what happened. I moved away from home. 
So like once I moved away from San Diego, I didn't really have that direct connection anymore to the sports world because I moved to a city that, yeah, a city that has no professional sports. There's no professional baseball team, basketball or football team here. So it wasn't really like a a place to be able to kind of tap into that world. But now I'm back and I'm back primarily through the storytelling piece because I love people's stories. And the more I just kind of learn about certain current athletes and former athletes, the more curious I become about them, the more I'm like, oh, well, what kind of sports ball player are you? And then I start watching the sports ball games. And then all of a sudden, I remember what the hell is happening. Now, I'm going to tell you this, though. What I'm most intrigued about when it comes to these sports ball leagues are the operations and logistics. I have been watching YouTube, (laughs) YouTube videos on the operations and logistics behind getting NFL teams to away games. And oh my God, I now dream about doing that. Like what if that could be one of my like social work retirement jobs is running NFL operations and logistics. I love operations and logistics. And when I was just thinking about, well, how the hell did they get all these people, all this equipment from one state to another state for a short amount of time and to get everything back to where it came from? Once I started watching everything that happens behind the scenes and like a coordinating office within an NFL team to be able to charter the planes, organize all of the equipment, pack all 50 some players stuff, get all of them jokers onto the plane, seated, understanding who gets the big seats, who gets the small seats in the plane, getting them from one airport to the other airport, getting them through security. They don't even go through regular security. They got their own little TSA situation. It's like better than pre-check. Well, they do that shit in a different wing and then they go ahead and get right onto the plane. But like getting them from the airport to the hotel, to the facility, making sure they show up for the game. I was like, oh, these logistics are blowing my mind and I want to be a part of this. <laughs> I love systems. I love systems. I think that is like the sociologist in me. It's the nosy person. It's the strategy person, the social worker just trying to figure out how all the pieces go together. And like NFL, professional sport team logistics, sign me the hell up. Sign me up. But anyways, I watched the big sports ball game. Even though the quarterback with the four black grandparents, Lamar Jackson, was not playing because y'all already know I was rooting for the one that has four black grandparents because I love me a little country chocolate baby um, with a story that reminds me of young people that I have worked with in the past. And Lamar Jackson loves Kodak Black through and through. And I was like, I know this kid. I've seen this kid before. I have worked with the, with this kid before. And on top of that, we birthday twins. But anyways, the one with the four black grandparents did not make it to the big sports ball game. The one with two black grandparents made it. But I couldn't find myself to be able to root for him. And let me tell you why. Um, Like you even care. We'll see. But let me tell you why I couldn't root for the one with the two black grandparents. Because I'm a San Diegan. And so when it comes to being a San Diegan, I'm also, you know, I'm charge. I'm, I'm a Chargers fan through and through, despite them leaving San Diego and going to LA. And I already know like the Spanos family will know no peace because of how they have treated San Diego. But anyways, I'm a Chargers fan through and through. So being a Chargers fan means when it comes down to the Chiefs and that name, absolute trash. The hell? Anyways, when it comes down to Kansas City, 
And when it comes down to the 49ers, obviously I got a root for the 49ers because Raider fans despise the 49ers. And as a Charger fan, I despise Raiders. You get what I'm saying? So by proxy, I had to root for the 49ers because not only do Raider fans not like the 49ers, the 49ers are playing at the Raider Stadium. And I am petty. I am petty. And on top of that, the only time the Chargers ever went to a Super Bowl was against the 49ers. We lost because we have never won a Super Bowl championship. We lost. But the only times we ever went, only time we ever went was against the 49ers. And so I was rooting for the 49ers, even though, you know, they didn't really, they, they, they didn't really have too many black folks on the field like they once did in their previous history. But I was rooting for the 49ers. They lost anyways. Um, but there was a good halftime show. The halftime show was solid. Usher looked immaculate, skin glowing, teeth. I'm assuming they're not veneers, but if they are, baby, he got like them 75K veneers. Them things is nice. On top of his little grill, little dimples, he still moved his body. He was moisturized. His outfits were beautiful. The outfit changes, seamless. Alicia Keys, off key, but what else is new? It's really wild to me how much people be like, oh, Alicia could sing so good. <laughs> Even without, you know, the halftime performance, let us be honest about Alicia Keys not always being on key throughout most of her career. Like, she be hollering. That voice has never really been for me, but she looked beautiful. And that piano was like a piece of art. That piano, had that was money. That piano exuded wealth. Her red outfit, that little cape, she was she was serving. Alicia was serving. She just she just won't singing too good. But that's that is what it is. But Usher also got me trying to figure out if I'ma go see him on tour. Then I was looking at the prices and I was like, well, Usher not really Beyonce. Cause you know, Beyonce had me all over the country last year. But I'm trying to figure out am I gonna have to figure out how I'm gonna go see Usher baby because I he got stripper poles. And y'all know how I feel about strippers. I enjoy a good hood ballet. And so he got strippers on skates. And I got to see this for myself. So I think I'm going to figure out how to see Usher in the fall this year. We'll see. We'll see how it works out. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Monique and the interview that she did on Shannon Sharp's podcast, Club Shay Shay. Uh, this Club Shay Shay podcast... I it's, it's getting a little messy. Look, I always knew that for real, for real, men are the ones that gossip the most, but God damn, like these loose lips that Club Shay Shay be bringing to that sofa, um, that men, are, <laughs> men are messy. And I know as somebody who has watched like maybe damn near every episode or listen to every episode of Shannon Sharp's podcast because I enjoy the stories behind a lot of the folks who come and sit across from him. He hasn't had that too many um, women. I think the only one, only other one that I can recall is Tabitha Brown that he interviewed. And those who know Tabitha Brown's brand and then know Monique's brand, that is that is um, quite the, the on either side of the spectrum of like black womanhood. And so with Monique on Shannon Sharp last week, I think it was on the 6th or the 5th of February when the episode aired, you know, she shared a, some good information 
um, she presented in the way that I think a lot of us know for how she presents um, when she's in those public spaces and my babies, I'm doing this for us, my babies, my people. What does that do for us as a people? My babies, my babies, my babies, oh, my babies. Um, like heavy on the auntie energy I will just kind of mention before I get into the piece that's been holding on to me like um holding my heart the most I would say the way she came for Shannon Sharp and him like sexualizing women that could be his daughter like telling him that he need to go get him somebody old to love him old and leave them 26 and 36 year old women alone i was like somebody needs to keep telling his ass that over and over again because when he be on there with um it'd be him and ocho cinco they got that other podcast uh night nightcap the way he be talking about dating young girls wanting to be around young girls be talking about megan the stallion and shit i feel like this is nasty that's nasty like i listen i got i got a thing for men of a certain age who sexualize or only date women that are significantly younger than them because at the end of the day like that should be coming down to power and control and folks just don't want to admit that out loud and there's like this misconception on the other end that women think just because a man got some age behind them they also got wisdom and understanding when wisdom and understanding knows no age somebody could be old as shit and be dumb as hell not care be selfish and self-centered focus on the be ego serving all about power and control and so, like, whenever I be hearing and seeing older men, oh, yeah, I only like to date women that are in their 20s when they be, like, 55, 60. It's like, bruh, we know what you're doing. That shit ain't cute. That shit is not cute. Like, I got I got me a little rule. And one of them is, like, where were you when 9-11 happened? Because if you tell me you was at your office job when 9-11 happened, baby, get out my face. Get out my face. You was at work when you was at work during 9-11. You are entirely too old to be trying to talk to me. Ugh. Anyways, so <laughs> the piece about Monique's interview that I want to give some attention to is she shared a bit about her relationship as a mother to her oldest set of children and how she doesn't talk to them in a number of years. They're estranged. And how she was putting out good energy and goodwill that they will, she has hope for reconciliation and that they can come back together and start to build this relationship. And so I think it might have been yesterday or maybe even today when her oldest son, Shalon Jackson, forgive me if I'm saying that name wrong, but like he got online and created like a 10 minute video addressing the things that his mother talked about in the interview. And I'm going to read them first and then kind of go into a bit of my thoughts. And so one of the things that he says in the video in response to his mother saying like she's leaving room and opportunity for their relationship to get better and that, you know, they can heal from this and grow from this. He responds by saying, um, and I quote, I would like to free her from having to continue telling that lie. Faith, faith without work is dead and neither one of us cares to put forth any effort to reconcile with the other. We are separate as she puts it because she doesn't care to be my mother anymore than I care to be her son. And so of course there's way more detail in the 10 minute video and other quotes that kind of pop up that really 
allow for a different side of a story to be tell, told between a parent and a child, an adult child, but a child nonetheless, um, with a relationship that is just not what folks would consider a, a parent-child relationship to be. And so like in response to her son's 10 minute video, and you can easily find it if you just kind of Google Shalon Jackson, Monique's son, um, in response to the video that her son shared, Monique gets online with her husband that is also her manager and like all these other roles that he plays in her life. She gets online in a video that is just off-centered. I just want to start right there as somebody who's just trying to emerge and get better with content creation. I was like, why the hell is there so much goddamn ceiling and blinds in this video? Oh my God, like bring the camera down. Like, get the crop it. Anyway, she gets online and does this video with the whole my baby's energy in response to what her son shared. And um, it doesn't make the situation better from my perspective. And I think where I don't think I know where I will continue to push back with this idea of like a parent leaving it on the child to improve a relationship. It's like, what? That's not how this shit goes. That's not how this shit goes. No matter how old a child gets, the child will always be the child in the relationship. It is not their responsibility to improve it. And then at the same time, it's not responsible, caring, or loving of the parent to not be honest about the harm and hurt that they have caused that child to then have them in a position to want nothing to do with them. And then try to change the narrative and be like, well, I'm leaving the door open for the child to decide X, Y, and Z. No. Because there obviously have been times throughout the course of the relationship where the effort on the parent side was not matching what the child believed they were deserving or what they wanted or needed at that time from their parent to heal and move their relationship forward. And then it also gets me to this place of parenting requires an exceptional set of skills that many adults that are parents do not have. There are a lot of shitty adults that end up parenting children who do not have the skill set nor the willingness to grow and develop that skill set to nurture, support, guide, love, and allow a child to form into who they are. I have come across far too many parents that have children for selfish reasons, for reasons of power and control, they have a child and believe that child is their possession. So therefore they can determine what that child does and does not do, who that child turns into be, turns out to become or, or be and who they won't turn out to become or be. Or they're like having children to fill these voids in their lives or deal with their own issues of abandonment, um, distrust, all type of shit, like putting these unrealistic expectations on a child that didn't ask for none of this shit. You, I have rarely come across parents who bring children into this world in a selfless manner with this understanding that this life does not belong to you, but you are responsible for how this child experiences the world, how they are nurtured and guided and loved and supported and allowed to form into who they are supposed to be. Parenting and caregiving requires an exceptional set of skills that a lot of adults do not have, but yet adults keep having kids. And it blows my goddamn mind every single time. 
it is far too easy to bring life into this world without doing the work to make sure you're not fucking them kids up once they get here. And a lot of parents, a lot of adults, not even parents, a lot of adults, they are bringing life into this world and they are messing kids up and they are unwilling to do the work to be better, to do better, to create conditions for children to do and be better. And as somebody who has been working with young people for a number of years, and y'all already know if you listen to me and if you rock with me, kids are never the goddamn problem. It's these big ass adults. They be out here messing people's lives up and not understanding what their role is in a young person's life. And it is not to control them, not to determine who they become, not to force them into doing things that is not designed for them to do. Like the ego is harming kids in so many different ways. Adults in their unwillingness to learn and grow and release ego harming kids in so many ways. Like kids across all age dynamics, even once you get grown, you steal somebody's baby as long as your parent or caregiver is earthside. And so when you, I continue to hear like these stories of adult relationships with their parents and the parents trying to treat their child in a way without understanding that's still your child and owning the fact that you messed up, you got it wrong. I find it very hard to believe that when adult children stop talking or engaging or want to interact with their parents, it's because something is wrong with that adult child or that child at the time. Something happened with that goddamn parent and that child got to the place where like, I got to let you go if I'm going to be okay. If I'm going to learn how to function in this world better, that's going to require that I let this relationship go with my primary parent or caregiver. And a lot of parents don't want to accept the fact that when their adult children are to a place of their own autonomy and power and decision making and they decide they want nothing to do with you, that's because you fucked up. It's rarely the child. It's rarely the child. And so like all of this energy is not directed to Monique. It's directed to really addressing this narrative that like, Kids didn't ask to be here. Two adults that did some things. And it shit, you don't even need two adults to do some things to get some kids here. You need one adult and maybe just to go to a little clinic and all of a sudden you got a kid here, right? Like some adults decided to do some things. So now a kid is here and they're met with a certain set of conditions and things that are out of their power and control. And then we try to treat them like they have a lot of power and control for where they live, what they can and cannot do, who and what they can be around. Well, you really have adults determining those things for them, but forgetting like that's still a whole person that you're helping to form. And you don't get to decide what the end result of that person is. And so I'm going to say it again, like parenting requires an exceptional set of skill sets that many adults do not have and they are unwilling to do the work to get them. But yet, we keep bringing kids into this world. It's wild to me. It is absolutely wild to me. And so, that's probably not the highest note to end Earth is Ghetto 
segment for the week. But like that shit is some of the most ghettoest shit in the world. Adults. Adults. Adults bringing kids into this world and not understanding the responsibility and the weight of what that is and not willing to do the work of not messing kids up. That's ghetto. Okay. That is absolutely ghetto. And so I'm going to leave it there and go ahead and get into tales for them trap tales from the trap for the week. So let's go ahead and do that. I want to share a story this week for the tales from the trap about a parent, um, a parent who was doing everything that they could in their power, in their ability to do and be better for their children. And yet, they were met by a system and other adults who could not see their work and effort for what it is or what it was at the time. So I, I've had several jobs, like many social workers in this work. And in this one particular job, um, it identified the youth as the problem or the person that needed their behaviors to change. And so, as you know, working with young people. You cannot work with young people without working with their chosen or birth families. And so um, the identified client is a teenager, um, teenage male, who is just having behaviors that are reflective of an environment that is just lacking structure, um, consistency, stability, um, care, affection, curiosity, like all of the different components that a healthy attachment to a primary caregiver can provide a young person, right? And so this parent that I'm working with, at the time, I'm in my like mid-20s, maybe. I might be, maybe I'm like 26 or 27, something like that. The, the parent is not that much older than me, and yet... She, they got a teenager and then some other kids. And so I'm doing my best to support the the parent in the hopes of helping the family function better, right? And so this parent, their primary source of income was in the sex work industry. And they had their own history of all the things, you name it, they, they had, they lived a life, okay? Like a life where... They didn't have the strong um, attachment to a primary caregiver or parental figure throughout their life, um, having to deal with um, just trafficking, at dealing with sex trafficking as a young age, trying to go out in the world at a young age and get it on their own, um, and then just kind of ended up falling into a certain lifestyle and a pattern. Now, they were committed with what they knew and what they had the ability to do to like get their, help their family function better because they really didn't want their children to experience anything that they experienced when they were a child. And so like, I saw this in them. Um, I connected with them um, in that particular space of like wanting to do everything possible to set their family up for success. And the reason I'm sharing the stories because, you know, I just talked about how parents, how people bring kids into this world and how parenting requires an exceptional set of skills, the skill sets that you often have to go and be taught 
or learn them and be willing to be taught and learn them. And this was a mom that was willing to be taught and learn these skill sets, but like not just be taught and learn them, but practice implementing them inside of her house in spite of all the other shit that she was trying to manage in terms of the financial, the emotional, the social, all of the supports of all of the children in her house. And then also like trying to deal with her own shit, right? And so she's doing all of the work. She's showing up to the classes. She's practicing the things. Um, she's improving her confidence and being able to support and care for her children. But then also like trying to figure out how to better show up for herself And yet when it's time to engage with other systems folks who have a lot of control and eyes on her household and her family, they cannot get past how she presents, right? She's covered in tattoos. And this is really common for folks who um, are survivors of sex trafficking is like, I I know this because of just previous stories and this doesn't apply to everyone who, you know, that may be their story, but it's like, Typically, a lot of the the girls, they get tattoos young and some of them have tattoos from, you know, former pimps or folks that saw them as property. But then they also will cover themselves in tattoos on their face and their neck and their hands and all these other places so that they are not seen as as marketable. I'm just going to use that language um, for those who are seeking the, the services of sex workers. And so like she would be covered in tattoos um, struggled to make eye contact, real soft-spoken, didn't speak in a way that uh, certain systems folks like judges and attorneys, all these other goddamn people think that somebody should talk or the language that they should use. And so even though she was doing all of the work they were asking for her to do, they couldn't get past how she made money and how she looked. So therefore, what she did not receive was the validation of those that were telling her, um, you need to do X, Y, and Z in order for A, B, and C to happen, right? And so like, when I think about my time of working with her and working with that family, is it also taught me just how important the work is we do on the individual level, but also just how small the work is that you do on the individual level, because you could be working with somebody individually, shit could be going real good, Sessions are good. Conversations are good. They're making transformation and changes, but yet you don't have the deciding power or the, the, the control to determine what will happen or not happen with that particular family or case. Somebody else who is disconnected from their story, who's struggling to see them as a full human, who doesn't want to see the good inside of them, they get to decide what happens, right? And so like, even though I was young in my career, I paid attention to the importance of getting up out of the direct service space and into a space of influencing those who influence and decide and control what the hell happens to people. And so like, I think about her story and I think about other stories of folks who did the hard goddamn work, but yet when it was time to make the important decisions about what would happen to them, or what would happen to their families or kids, the people who made the decisions did not want to see them for who they were and the hard work that they had done. And I was like, oh, no, I got to figure out how to be a part of changing dynamics and, and narratives and viewpoints and people 
at that level in the hopes of like reducing the harm that is done to people who are standing before them or sitting across from them because people are trying hard there are people who are out here doing the work they are trying really hard to change the trajectory of their families like a lot of people who are breaking what folks like to refer to as generational curses and that shit takes a lot of not even cur- I can't even call it courage. That shit just take a lot of goddamn work and belief in yourself. But oftentimes, like you need other people to help you believe it is possible for you to do it too. And so, just to see folks get deflated, to folks get deflated because other people just have a hard time seeing them for who they are and meeting them where they are validating them for the hard work they have done but all they see is the things they have not did or the way that they show up and the way they present and talk and I will never forget that story I'll never forget her either and I'm not even gonna hold y'all for those who have heard me talk about it it's it's like she's one of the reasons I want this strip club (laughs) and I laugh about it because like I I think about her often I think about women like her often who engage in that industry and they deserve so much more so much more um but yeah like that's my tales from the trap for the week let's go ahead and get into a good black word all right so the good black word for the week it uh came to me this morning when i was doing my practice um so you know like i practice yoga in the morning i also go through and and do my my vows in terms of um, my teachings and practices from buddhism and as i was reading through one of the passages it was pretty much talking about how like sometimes your head is not the first place you should turn to for solutions and i was like oh oh not not my book coming for me not not this little passage coming from me sometimes your head is not the first place you should turn to for the solutions and because i am and you know i'm an overthinker that is in recovery i'm also somebody who looks for logic first and tries to fact check as much as possible before i allow feelings to kind of enter into the situation but when i really think about the idea like your head is sometimes not the place you really need to be turning to first like there are many situations where you likely need to turn to your feelings and emotions and sit with that shit instead of going straight to your head and trying to find logic and reason because in a lot of situations they're just you may not be able to find logic or reason and when you can't find logic or reason that can sometimes lead to increased feelings of like frustration and anxiety and worry and then now all of a sudden you know you're spiraling and for me to be incredibly deliberate and not turning to my head first, that has been a lot of undoing and unlearning for me because it's the place where I feel the most comfortable. One of my biggest defense mechanisms is intellect, like I will intellectualize something without a doubt. But I know this about myself and those who know me and care about me can see that I do that too. And those who really know me and care about me will push back because I'm quick to intellectualize when as a defense mechanism, when there are many times I got to put that shit to the side, don't turn to my head first, but turn to my heart, turn to my feelings, turn to my emotions, allow myself to 
to sit with those, to kind of scuffle through those and then begin to introduce thoughts and logic and reason and then match those things up uh, for me to find some clarity, acceptance and understanding. And so I'm sharing this as the good black word for the week in the event, you know, somebody hears this and maybe you also turn to your head first to try to find solutions and we can work together on not going to our heads first for solutions, but making a stop with our heart, our thoughts and our feelings, but don't stay there too long. Cause when we stay there too long, we can also create more problems and more, you know, thoughts and feelings and emotions that do not serve us but at least stopping there first, right? To really check in with how's your heart? How are you thinking? How are you feeling? What are your emotions that are are bubbling up when certain situations or memories or relationships kind of come your way instead of trying to go straight to your head to find logic and reasoning? And then thinking about how we can just marry those two things together better. And so I am making a commitment to not always turning to my head first, but turning to my heart, Um, because that is the thing that, you know, that don't fail me, hasn't failed me, because even though I do go to my head first, what I know for a fact is when I listen to my heart and move with my heart and leave my heart open, um, it allows for me to receive so much more, right, to receive so much goodness and kindness and care and compassion when I allow myself to let my heart have space to receive and not always be trying to find logic and reasoning and shit because truth be told sometimes just things just don't make sense and I just learn to accept everything ain't gotta have no reason and everything ain't got no goddamn logic (laughs) so that is my good black word for the week is that sometimes your head is not the first place you should turn to for a solution consider your heart and your emotions and your feelings as a way of moving you closer to introducing your head um logic and you know reasoning into finding a solution but always always be open to the idea that a solution does not exist and or the solution or answer does not belong to you does not belong to you and so that is my good black work for the word for the week y'all And please, please, please remember to take care of your hearts so that we can take care of each other because y'all already know what it is. We are absolutely all that we've got. And we will chat next time. Y'all be well.